welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 99, and I'm talking with Katherine Switzer. Katherine Switzer was the first woman to run the Boston Marathon as a registered participant in 1967. You've probably all seen the iconic picture of her running that race and one of the race officials trying to pull her bib off of her. Now, I read Marathon Woman, her book. You should read it too. And I learned so much more about Katherine who she is as a woman, what she's done for the sport of running. You know, I think we've all heard that she was the first woman to run the Boston Marathon as an official participant, Uh, but there's so much more to her story that we don't know about, that I didn't know about. It was so cool to hear about how she trained for that race, uh, the obstacles that she had to hurdle to simply be a woman running in the sport. But there was so much more to just running the race as an official participant than I even knew about. Uh, Since then, Catherine has done so much for the sport of running. I mean, the amount that she's put into not just creating events for women, but creating events for the sport of running since that 1967 race is pretty phenomenal. Now, Catherine ran that first marathon in four hours and 20 minutes, but she ended up becoming quite competitive and has run a PR of 251.37, and that was in the Boston Marathon in 1975. She's also won the New York City Marathon in 1974 with a time of 307.29. Now, what you need to know about that race is it was extremely hot that day. Catherine had a huge hand in the women's marathon becoming an Olympic event in 1984. She's been a television commentator for years. She has had her hand in so many pieces of women's running over the past 50 years. This past year, she ran the Boston Marathon at the age of 70, 50 years exactly since that 1967 race where she was the first official woman to run the race. And she wore that same bib number, 261. She is currently working passionately for her nonprofit, 261 Fearless, and constantly continuing to provide support to women all around the world who want to make running part of their lives. You'll learn a lot more about that in this episode. I actually I actually had several other questions I wanted to ask Catherine, but we were strictly on a 40-minute time budget, so I had to keep it to 40 minutes. But there was so much more that I did want to ask her that we weren't able to get to. Either way, I'm so honored that I was able to speak to this incredible woman who has done so much for the sport of running, specifically for women. Before we get started talking with Catherine, I want to thank Kind Snacks for supporting this episode of the podcast. I am still getting my box of Kind Bars, two boxes actually sent per month to my house. I know that delivery service is totally the thing right now, but I'm really happy that it is because right when my groceries are getting low, I get a box of Kind Snacks delivered to my front porch and it's really amazing. Kind Snacks are made in the United States. They're made with ingredients you can recognize and pronounce. They use high quality, nutrient dense, whole ingredients like whole nuts and whole grains. All of their snacks are gluten free, low sodium, they have no sugar alcohols and they're made without genetically engineered ingredients. I love the dark chocolate and the caramel bars and I love that just you get that like bite of sweet and then you get a really salty bite too and I love that. You guys can try out a sample pack. You get 10 Kind Bars for free. All you have to do is pay shipping if you go to kindsnacks.com slash Lindsay. That's kindsnacks.com slash Lindsay. When you order the sample box, you'll also get to try the Kinds Snack Club where you'll receive monthly snacks at a discount and get members only bonuses. I'm a part of that snack club. 
and I'm a paying part of that snack club. They're not just sending me these bars for free, you guys, as a sponsor. I am buying my kind bars. So I'm speaking about this passionately as someone who purchases them herself. All right, guys, if you're loving the show, I would appreciate it if you would head over to iTunes real quick, open up your podcast app, and leave me a rating and review. It's one of the best potential ways new listeners can find the show, and it takes you about three minutes, probably, tops. So thank you to everybody who's already done that. And if you haven't done it yet, I would really appreciate it if you would. If you're looking for more bonus content for me, you can find that on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. All right, you guys, let's enjoy this conversation with Catherine. All right. So we're talking with Catherine Switzer today. I'm so honored to have you on the show. Thank you, Lindsay. It's wonderful to be here. I hope everybody is well. Now, Catherine is calling in from New Zealand today. Yes, with a slightly sore throat. So bear with me. I don't usually have this whiskey voice, but um, it's ironic because, of course, New Zealand is experiencing summertime right now. And also, we're a day ahead of you. So if anybody listening wants to know the future, you can get back to me. Oh, I didn't know you were a day ahead of us because I know it's uh, yes, it's 10 a.m. The there. Yeah, it's on the other side of the dateline. <laughs> okay, I guess I just didn't know if you guys were before or behind us. Um, well, you're rocking the sexy, raspy voice today, so we'll take it. Okay, I, 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 I can do that. You know, <laughs> just get, get, I'm ready for my close-up, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I feel like the way I have to start this podcast is by saying um, thank you uh, from all the women listening and from myself for everything you've done for women's running over the last 50 plus years. Well, thank you very, very much. It's very, very kind of you. It's also very validating, but it's also exciting to hear that kind of validation because I want everybody listening, and this is what I hope we talk about today, is what does the next 50 years look like and what role are all of you listening going to be playing in that? You know, running has changed our lives in so many profound ways, um, women especially, and um, let's play it forward now to other people, other women, and really help women have this amazing opportunity. Now, that's a really interesting thing to say. And I, I was thinking about this before the interview. About So, so I, I started reading Marathon Woman uh, aggressively. And I had hopes to finish it before the interview. But, you know, I have three little kids and um, things kept pulling me different ways. So I'm 52% done. Um, but I was thinking about this after reading through as far as I've gotten and just how, when I go to a race and show up at a race, I just, I've never thought twice about it. You know, when I ran in high school, I'm 34, anything I've ever done with running, I've just never thought twice about it. So it's crazy looking back and thinking of the obstacles that you had to hurdle and the things that you had to do to uh, actually get on the start line and run as an official marathoner. Well, that's a great feeling that you have, Lindsay. And, and that's really all that I kind of wanted to do. I mean, every time I ran, it was always um, uh, unusual. And I always got questioned about, you know, hey, aren't you worried that you're going to hurt yourself or get a heart attack or, you know, you know you're, you're never going to be able to have children, all those kinds of stupid questions. And and one, one time somebody said, what are you trying to prove? And I said, I'm trying to prove that this is not unusual, that it that, that is, is a normal thing to do. And it was kind of like, oh, my God, you know, everybody just thought mm-hmm. I was such a, a weird person. But that that's all any um, 
mother, in a way, wants to do for her kids is to kind of give them the opportunity so that good things that they can do and opportunities they can take are not unusual. I mean, you know, you're allowed to do those kinds of things. So, yeah, I, I think that's really what's great. Um, I, I marvel even myself now when I'm driving down the street and I see a woman running along in shorts and a bra top mm. and I'm thinking she doesn't, people don't even honk their horns anymore. I mean, and that was, that was like a normal thing to get honked at and beer cans thrown at you and all that kind of stuff. Now, now it's just normal. The other thing that's great about running in general, uh, well, there are lots of things, but two other things is. One, when you go to a race, all you have to do is sign up for it, right? And it used to be such a rigmarole of having to be a member of the federation and having to pay annual dues and having to get travel permits and all of this kind of stuff and and, and prove that you were an amateur, that you weren't taking any money, Well, which is hilarious because there was absolutely no money in running <laughs> at all. So so what was the big deal? The other thing, um, it, so it's, it's easier now. It's just so open. And a film actually was made about that process that you might want to, um, it, it, it's gotten tremendous reviews and it's, it's been followed around the world. This film was launched uh, last year early last year, late the year before, called Free to Run. And it was about breaking down all those societal restrictions of being a woman or of um, having the strictures of governmental kind of um, procedures in, in the sport, getting it off the track, out of the rules, into the woods, onto the trails, out on the roads. You know, that's a great, it's a great film. You can get it on Netflix. It's called Free to Run. Um, the other thing I'm excited about is all along, I have said men have been so wonderful to mm -hmm. women in running, which is completely different from many other sports, as we know. And what I'm finding now in this, particularly in this era of sexual contentiousness that we're going through in the United States in particular, um, is, is the fact that running sh shines as a beacon in this dilemma because as runners, we're equal. We're not male-female. It's like gender-free. We're there to motivate and support each other. And, you know, we, we don't belittle, demean, or take advantage of each other in, in any sexual or violent way. It's, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing activity. And so for, in terms of social progress, you know, the men have been always supportive to us. But right now we've got to imagine how this really looks on a global scale. It's really quite wonderful. And um, so I think you know, when you say, hey, I can just go and show up at a race, it's much more than that. It's, it's become a very big social revolution for both genders. Well, and that's a really good point. As a female who runs, um, probably, I, I would say I run towards the front of the middle pack and the back of the front pack, you know, um, I feel so much support from males running. Like, I feel like if I'm in a smaller race and I might be one of the top females, the men in the race are always so excited for the females, you know, they and, are yeah. and they're rooting yeah. for you like, oh, my gosh, go, girl, you're doing so good. And that's a really good feeling. Yeah. And, and, and that's right, because I think the guys are very appreciative, first of all, of how hard running can be sometimes. Um, and for women, you know, to become a good runner or a fairly good runner, especially with the time constraints that women have. And yes, I do believe women have more time constraints, really mostly than men. And that maybe that's unfair to say, but the fact is, is you're a mom with three kids. So you're, you're holding down a job, you're managing their lives, and you're managing the house. For the most part, you are. 
because the 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 kind of the the domestic organization traditionally and almost always revolves around the female. So, um, and 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 you know what? I love running marriages. I mean, I love it when I'm at the Boston or New York City Marathon Expo and a guy and his wife and all their kids come up to the booth and we're talking. And he said, I'm watching the kids for Boston. She's watching the kids for New York. Oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, it is great. It is great. It's it's it's, it's wonderful equality. It's, it's, it is terrific. Um, yeah. And I remember when I was running really well. And, and I, um, I remember when I ran my best marathon at 2.51 way back in 1975. Oh, my God. I was so excited. Um, and all the guys came up to me who I passed. <laughs> and they just sort of, you know, uh, touched me on the shoulder, slapped me on the back or shook hands with me really, really sincerely and said, you know what? You beat me and you deserve to. You obviously have worked so hard. And it was really great. So I have to ask you, well, we have to talk about the 1967 Boston Marathon. Um, And I'm so glad that I picked up your book. And everybody needs to read it because, you know, we've all seen the iconic picture of, of the race director, one of the race directors, Jock, trying to pull off your bib. But the way you explain just like the training going into it and then your gang of guys that you were running with when it happened and your relationship with Arnie. Um, Then I went back, you know, and looked up the picture and I was like, oh, there's Arnie, you know, can you just talk about your relationship with Arnie and, and all that? Yeah. I, I I like talking about my relationship with him because um, I, I do it in all my speeches as well. Because sometimes the least likely person that you meet in your life can be one of the most influential. Arnie was um, the mailman at Syracuse University. I was 19 and he was 50. And he had been an ex-marathon uh, runner. When I met him, he was you know, injured and just helping out with a men's cross-country team at, at the university where I was um, had been allowed allowed to train with them not be official but to train with them but of course I was so slow it was pathetic but the guys were wonderful to me and Arnie was out there with the clipboard and the whistle so he was the most welcoming of all and when he saw how slow I was even injured he started running with me and he really brought me along very very slowly but he regaled me with all these stories of marathon running so it was him who inspired me to run Boston because he had run 15 Boston marathons. But he never believed that a woman anywhere at any time could or ever had run a marathon. So when I told him that other women had run a marathon, not officially, but had run the distance, and including Roberta Gibb at Boston, you know, in 66, when she jumped out of the bushes and ran, he didn't believe it. And he finally, when we argued, he said, if you showed me in practice, I'll be the first person to take you to Boston. And by this time, we were running about, you know, six to ten miles a night, very slowly, and he'd gotten over his injuries, and, and so he couldn't go fast anymore, but he could, he could, he had great cardio. So when I proved to him in practice, in fact, we ran 31 <laughs> miles on this, this run, um, he was utterly convinced and helped me sign up for the race, and it was he who insisted that I sign up for it. I said, well, look, why can't I just go in there and jump out, jump in the race? And he said, you can't do that. It's a Boston Marathon. It's a serious race. You know, you have to, you're a card-carrying member of the Athletic Federation. You have to pay your $2 entry fee. You have to follow all the rules because oh, those guys are very tough and they're going to give you a hard time. So um, I said, okay, 
And he said, we got to follow the rules exactly. And you've got to be official. So, of course, when I signed my name, I signed my name with my initials for a whole variety of reasons, not the least of which is because my dad misspelled my name on my birth certificate. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, I signed it KV Switzer. They thought KV was a, a guy, obviously, gave me the bib. And because it was snowing and sleeting, Arnie picked up the bibs for the entire team. We were out in the car. And he went in as our team manager and, and captain and picked up all of our bibs because they were all in a packet together. So that was a big coincidence. So that's, those, those series of events and coincidences led to you know, me actually being on the, run, the running course at Boston. So Arnie, you know, this male, a mailman and a 19-year-old college student, mm-hmm. you, know, you wouldn't think that you would be inspired by a person like this. I mean, there was a huge social and physical and age divide. And, and yet I learned more from Arnie Briggs than just about any, any other person except my parents. Um, he was, you know, by virtue of just being there and helping me uh, that way, I mean, he, he really, really changed my life completely. And, and so I, I say to people, you know, sometimes your sources of information when you think they're least likely or they're, or they're just from kind of ordinary people are very, very important. You should listen to all of these things and, and take heart in being inspired by them. So Arnie passed away in 2000, eight, 84. As I was reading the book, I was like, I got to find out if Arnie's still with us. So, so what's that like now? I mean, do you think of him often? I think of him every day. Yeah. You know, and um, he's always in my thoughts. And you can bet your ass this year when I ran the Boston Marathon 50 years later, he was not only on my bib, he was on my shoulder. Mm. <laughs> oh, that makes me want to cry. And, yeah. And in fact, when I got out there and it was hot, you know, I was having a little talk with him. And uh, as soon as I had a talk with him, I got a cloud cover, you know, mm. and, and, and a tailwind. And I thought, Arnie, I really, I can't thank you enough. <laughs> um, you know, because it was him who introduced me to to the streets of Boston. So, yeah, yeah and these people stay with you all your lives. You know, um, so yeah, I had a few other names on my bibs of people on my bib who people who were important to me. But I must tell you that race, um, it, it was another first for me. Totally unwittingly, I just kind of thought about it, and I realized. I was the first woman last April. I was the first woman who ever ran a marathon 50 years after she ran her first one. Um, and that's that's not kind of any testimony to my greatness. It's it's testimony to how few women there were 50 years mm. ago. Um, and and now, of course, we know, you know, 70-year-old, 80, 90-year-old woman. It's not that unusual anymore for them to be running, which leads me to my next revolution, which is, you know, the aging one. Because people talk about older people the way they used to talk about women 50 years ago. Mm. So now that I'm 70, people are saying, hey, don't you think you ought to slow down? <laughs> you know, you might hurt yourself. You know, you might have a heart attack. <laughs> you might fall down or, or whatever. And I said, God, that's what they used to tell me 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Well, you, you know, you ran that first Boston in 420. Um, but like you mentioned, you have a PR of actually 251. So you kind of had this like gang of girls that went around and did the different races and you, you won the New York City Marathon. You got second place in Boston. You know, you were competitive back then. 
Yeah, you know, there's a couple of reasons why um, I was competitive. Well, first of all, I love to run. Okay, and the second reason is, is I got competitive um, because I wanted to get better. Um, after my first marathon in Boston, and, and it was 4:20, which was not bad considering I was attacked by uh, the race director <laughs> in, a, in the race and had to fight him off and ran the whole race, you know, being very, very paranoid about, you know, are they going to try this again when nobody's looking? Um, and and in fact, he had asked the police to pull me out of the race, which I didn't find out till years later, but that's the truth. Anyway. Um, 420 really wasn't bad, but he said to the media the next day, I could have walked it that fast. Mm. That's, the, that's not a time that counts. And I was so annoyed. I had this big chip on my shoulder. And I said, okay, I don't know how good I can get because I know I'm not really very talented, but I can work hard and let's see what happens. So I worked really hard. I trained like 110 mile weeks. I trained 13 workouts a week. I had a full-time job. I was putting my husband through grad school. How we do these things, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it resulted eventually in a 251. And I always say, listen, if I can do that, almost anybody can do that if they're willing to put in the work. Um, but it, it shut him up and it shut up a lot of people who were putting women down and me especially. So I was really, really pleased with that. The other reason is, and this is why I continue to run marathons, is I'm, I was physiologically curious, which I hope every listener um, out there is. What what can my body do? You know, I think we were all so excited, and everybody listening remembers their first mile and how excited we were. And then when it got to like a 5K, we said, "Wow!" And then we did a 10K, and we said, "Wow!" I wonder if I could run a half marathon. We ran a half marathon, and we say, "Oh, I never could run a marathon, but ooh, maybe I'll try." And then you run a marathon and you can do anything and you get fearless. And, and, and so physiologically what we can accomplish is beyond our imaginations. And what we need to do is keep trying and exploring. But, you know, you're telling me that I was a 420 marathoner and improved to 251. I mean, that's impressive. It really is impressive. And I think also what's impressive is that at 70, um, stopping 13 times and doing interviews um, this year <laughs> in Boston – I ran a 4.44, which uh, was a BQ for my age group by 11 minutes and only 24 minutes slower than I ran when I was 20. So, you see, physiologically, we always underestimate ourselves. Well, and, um, yeah, and I just hope people out there say, hey, I'm going to get those sneakers on and add another mile today. <laughs> what When you trained for this year, well, for Boston and, and New York, what kind of mileage were you running at 70 for the training? And I, I didn't do any. Um, I did. A, I did a couple of uh, uh, really hard long runs. Uh, I must say, over over twenty miles, probably one at about twenty three, and it was very tough. It was a very big mountain run here in New Zealand, mm. and I knew if I could, I knew if I could do that, I could finish the marathon. I was pretty confident about that. But I, I honest to God, I could not tell you what my weekly mileage was because what I did was I ran every other day, which was very unusual for me. Only ran once, not twice a day ever anymore, or not even every day. I ran every other day, and I would use the opposite days to do core work, and um, that's something I had had always done kind of naturally, but I had hadn't done really hardcore work like I was. Uh, the physios put me on, and you know, planks and weight work and stuff like that. And I got very, very fit in my midsection, which I, I always used to be naturally, but but now I had kind of lost it somewhere. Anyway, um, 
so so that was how the training differed. But I would say probably I probably did at least five or six runs that were over eighteen miles. Okay. So so I I was I was I knew if everything else would go okay, I had a reasonable shot at finishing. And that was all my goal was, is to finish Boston this year. Do you ever see a time in your lifetime that you think you won't want to run marathons? Not going until later. Uh, that, that I won't be running, you mean, or running marathons? I guess both. Yeah, I, I definitely see a time when I won't be running marathons, and it's probably going to be sooner than later. I, <laughs> I'm seven. I'm already 70. Uh, um I'll be 71. But, you know, there's there's things I want to do. You know, like I was inspired after Boston to run New York. And um, and I did. And the time was only like, what, uh, I think two or three minutes slower than it was in Boston. Again, with the same drill, you know, running slowly, talking to people, doing interviews. Um, and then I thought, well, I don't know if this is post-runner hypoxia and delusion, but um, I think I'll run London. You know, it's a race I helped organize uh, in the first place, but I never got to run it. And so I'm going to try London in the, in April, and then I'll probably do Berlin again in September. Um, but but yes, there is a time because you know the marathon takes so much damn time to train for. I mean, it really does. It really sucks the, the time out of you. But it really um, it keeps you honest because you can't do the marathon without training. And so you know, as busy as you are in your life, if you know you have a marathon coming up, you got to get organized and get out there and train. Well, and, and, and that's, there's no question about that. So, but running itself, yeah, no, no, I'm going to run until I drop. Mm. There's no question. Yeah, How, it's it's too important to me. Do you think? What can you say? What can you say to running injury free into your seventies? Do you think some of that is um, genetic? And what are you doing that you know to prevent injury? I got to tell you, I you know doing the marathon again, <clears throat> I was really worried about getting injured because you know how long is going to last is there a finite time uh, um these are all questions we don't know and wish we all knew um wh- one thing uh well first of all it's so so far so good and i mean i kind of finished boston without a without even being sore and i kind of threw my hands up i said oh my god this is incredible i've never felt so good after a marathon and i and i think it was uh the core work i think it was also walking you know this is i'm not going fast that's that's the thing that's different. I do speed work um, once every week. You know, I do repeat um, 800s, the old Yasso 800. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> they work a treat. They yeah. really do. And if you and if you you get your legs used to turning over faster, you're going to be out there on the road less time. So that's that's also important. You don't get down in your hips and and grind along for hours and hours and hours. Still. 444 is a lot harder on your body than in many ways than a 251 sure. because you're just out there less in the time. Um, but anyway, um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I guess the important thing is is to do uh, all the compensatory exercises, the core work, keep in balance. When it hurts, I stop. You know, mm. if I think there's an injury there, I stop, you know, take a couple of days off. It's better to take a couple of days off than lose two months. Before we continue my conversation with Catherine, I want to thank Four Sigmatic for supporting this episode of the podcast. 
Four Sigmatic makes drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do with their mushroom coffees, mushroom superfood blends, and mushroom elixirs. They sell tins for at-home use and single-serve packets, which are really convenient to carry and share. Glenn usually takes one of the single-serving packets and takes it to work with him and has it as his afternoon coffee. I have been drinking the elixirs. I'm gonna say it wrong, but the Chaga, C-H-A-G-A, that's my favorite elixir. I've been drinking that. Um, I'll have lunch and then that'll be like my afternoon pick-me-up. And it gives you a different kind of energy than drinking plain old coffee that you will be sure to notice if you drink it on a regular basis. I actually first heard about Four Sigmatic on my podcast episode with Allie Kiefer, who got fifth place at the New York City Marathon, and she talked about how much she loved the product, and then I remembered hearing it on Tim Ferriss' podcast, and he speaks very passionately about the product. So now that we've been trying it and loving it, I am happy to recommend it to you guys. I also love their superfood blends. You can just put a scoop into your smoothie and up your nutritional value of that smoothie by a lot. You can find their favorite recipes over on their Instagram page for Sigmatic, and they have lots of education on there as well. It's actually a really pretty Instagram. I'm looking at it right now. You guys can try out this awesome mushroom coffee if you go to foursigmatic.com slash another and use the code another to get 15% off your order. That's four sigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash another and get 15% off your order by using the code another. I also want to thank Casper Mattress for supporting this podcast. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. You spend a third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. The experts at Casper work tirelessly to make a quality sleep surface that cradles your natural geometry in all the right places. With a breathable design that helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. They have over 20,000 reviews with an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google. Casper is becoming the internet's favorite mattress. All of the mattresses are designed, developed, and assembled in the U.S., And they have affordable prices because Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. So head over to casper.com slash haveanother. Use the code haveanother to get $50 towards select mattresses. That's casper.com slash haveanother. Use the code haveanother to get $50 towards select mattresses. This offer is only applicable to select mattresses and terms and conditions apply. Thank you, Casper, for supporting this episode of the podcast. Let's continue my conversation with Catherine. Looking back at your training back in the day in the 60s and 70s, um, you know, when you talked about you and Arnie doing the 31 miler and then um, a lot of those training runs, you said you were doing 27 miles every Sunday and just looking at how a lot of us train these days, I kind of just laughed at that being a long run because I thought, oh my gosh, I can't imagine running 27 miles as my long run now. Yeah, but you know, in those days, everybody was, everybody wanted to be good. Yeah. And the depth of talent, uh, let's take men, there weren't many women, let's, the depth of talent in, in men's running American men's running is much deeper than it is now. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I mean, there were hundreds of guys who were like um, under 230 mm-hmm. in a marathon. 
happen. And now you go to Boston and you see the elite field come rushing in. And then you see sort of a dribble of guys. And then suddenly about 2.30, more guys start coming in. But, you know, they we were ambitious. Mm. Okay. We had a, we had a lot less uh, opportunities and other things. And we were all ambitious. And, and as a woman, honestly, those of us who were women runners um, were, were ambitious because we wanted really to prove to the Federation and the events that we were, um, we were the, not the men's equal, but we, we weren't. To, we weren't to be denied because we were no talents or inferior talents. So we were, we were competitive and we were proud of it, you know? Um, and, you know, I remember the first women under you know, three hours and what an exciting time that was. And then we were starting to look at, you know, under two forty-five, and, and back when, uh, right, right around when we were running three Oh twos, three Oh threes that, um, that a woman was going to run a 232 very soon. And men just screamed with laughter. Mm. I said, well, I mean, you know, you look what they're doing on the track for 3,000 and in cross country. And, of course, then Greta Weitz came along and really showed the world what, what you know, talent existed out there if it only had an opportunity. Hey, so that's something else, Lindsay. I really want to talk about opportunity. Yeah, okay. Can let's we do, do that it. now? Let's go. Okay. First of all, I mean, I have a very strong philosophy, and I believe it totally, that um, talent really is everywhere. It only needs an opportunity. And so, you know, that was that was my absolute passion and drive. My really life goal was to be a major player in getting the women's marathon into the Olympic Games because I knew talent, it exist, talent existed out there. But women themselves... Um, people don't know they've got talent unless there's an opportunity for them to try and if they don't have the uh, imagination or the forum sometimes can't imagine it doing it so women who could run let's say a really terrific cross-country 1500 meters couldn't imagine seriously running or even training for a marathon because it wasn't in the olympic program and that was for instance what what happened to greta weitz as soon as we got it into the olympic program well actually as soon as she she ran the new york first time is kind of a lark and um and 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 that changed her life but then she got involved also in the movement herself but anyway so that that to me you know was sort of the pinnacle of my career when that happened when at the women's marathon in the 1984 olympic games but what really really excited me is the people beyond that the the people that not not like you and me, but a woman who's listening is sitting on the sofa maybe right now, and maybe she could run her local 5K or something. Um, she doesn't know that she can do much more than she believed unless she has talent. I mean, unless she has an opportunity. And what I wanted to do now is um, really reach out to women around the world globally and give them the empowerment experience. Not not just because of the running, but because of the sense of transformation and capacity to achieve in all areas of her life. So um, an interesting thing happened later in my life, just in fact about six years ago. 261, the bib number that I was wearing in the Boston Marathon that the official tried to pull off me, suddenly started becoming this number meaning fearless in the face of adversity and there was this organic kind of rush of people you know inking it on their arms or wearing 261 on their back and then tattooing themselves so from this kind of amazing start um, a group of us started 261 fearless a non-profit 
that is now a, not only a movement but an organization that takes running to women around the world through clubs, through movement, and through communication. And we are uh, changing women's lives in a very big way to women who have had no opportunities whatsoever. And that, that woman could be in Afghanistan or she could be next door to you in Indianapolis, you know. And it, it really is working. You know, running has changed our lives in the in the States and in Canada so profoundly. You can only imagine what it might do to a woman who is not even allowed to go outside or drive a car or get an education. Mm really opens her eyes in a very big way. So right now, my whole life and soul is thrown into 261 Fearless. Um, we have 41 clubs now around the world, and um, and we're in a very, very active training program to get women uh, trained to be good group leaders, to create a non-judgmental environment for women. Um, and we're asking people to join us, you know, as friends or as potential coaches or, or whatever, and just go to 261fearless.org. And um, and come on board. So yeah. we're we're very excited about this. Yeah, that is really exciting, and it's so true that if you can just encourage someone and get someone to go run three miles every day or every other day or every third day, the empowerment you feel when you start doing that. I mean, and you talked about that when you started jogging, you know, and that's what you did. You ran up to three miles. It's just it's it really is life changing. So that's awesome. Really is, but the other other component is this: is you know I I did all that by myself and felt still great. But imagine if you once a week had a group of women that you could just meet up with, and that they were all ages, sizes, colors, religion, ethnicities, and you got together and just just sort of threw the problems of your day and your week behind you for an hour. Um, and, and you share the secrets of your soul. You, you have this bonding experience that, you know, running is a, is a universal language. That's one of the exciting things about being, for instance, in a big marathon is that all around you, you're surrounded by people you never met before. You don't even speak their language, but you know, you, you're talking the same thing. <laughs> totally. And, and, to, and to have a group like that in your own community once a week is, uh, is really phenomenal. It gives women, uh, friends they never thought they had before and it's just it's it's really amazing so once again i'm just encouraging everybody to come join us i think it'd be great so what do you think is the biggest accomplishment we've had as a as a country as as in the world in running in the last 50 years oh no doubt i i of women in running is not only one of the biggest accomplishments in running, but is a, a social revolution. I mean, it goes way beyond running, and that um, women have freed uh, the world of beliefs of restriction, of limitation, um, of appropriateness. You know, it has opened up women not only to belief in their own capability physically then but also emotionally but but it, it takes over into the workplace into education we're into the second generation of women who are running in america now and their children have grown up seeing mommy run so health in the families um fitness has notions have completely changed it, um it has gone so Far in my estimation to creating 
a, a better understanding of our place in society as men and women together, working together, achieving together. Oh, I, I uh, there's no doubt about it. I think to me, it's the emergence of women's running. It, and and it isn't it isn't how fast they're going. It's mm-hmm. the fact that millions are doing it. That 58 percent of all the runners in the United States now are women. Where do you see that in 50 years? I know you know at the beginning of the conversation, you kind of said that's what you want all of us to think of in the younger generation is what we can do to make it better in the next 50 years. What do you think that looks like? Well, I would love, I would like everyone to realize how important it is for them and to pay it forward. You know, whether they form a club in their community, whether they volunteer at a road race, whether they go to uh, young boys and girls in their community and maybe not even organize anything, but just give them a little add a boy or add a girl. Tell every kid, you know, out there that they can do something, they can be something to give them an opportunity to pull a pair of sneakers and run around the block. You know, it's uh, sometimes the simplest things and the hugest things. I mean, it was my dad when I was 12. I wanted to be a high school cheerleader because, you know, I thought that meant I was going to be pretty and popular and accepted. And he said, you don't want to be a cheerleader because cheerleaders cheer for other people. You Mm -hmm. want people to cheer for you. So you should run a mile a day and make the field hockey team in your high school. I didn't even know what field hockey was. And in fact, I was damned lucky to have field hockey team. We, you know, it was, it was brand new. They just brought it in. And, um, Obviously, we we were lucky to have that in our school system. It was tremendous. But I went out and I ran that mile a day. Now, it would never have occurred to me to try out for the field hockey team because um, I didn't know anything about it and therefore was intimidated by it. And my dad said he didn't know anything about it either, but it knew, he knew it involved running. And, and if I ran a mile a day, I'd be the best runner out there. <laughs> well, and that's and kind I believe, of – go ahead. I believed him. See, so he created an opportunity and a challenge. Kids love opportunity and challenge. Yeah, and, you know, that's kind of like the theme of the beginning of the book where you talk about how your parents kind of, it seems like they gave you that desire and drive to be the independent woman that you grew up to be. You know, even um, when you talk about your marriage and your your running and your career and your, and, you know, finishing college. Absolutely. All of those things. We all know that when we do something that empowers us, then we have the courage and the vision to take the next step. So, you know, suddenly the whole world opens up to you. So, you know, by the time I was 20, I sort of was having, you know, uh, my own capability that I would never have had at a younger age or without running. It, It is amazing. Okay, Catherine. So what is your favorite memory of all time and all of the Boston marathons that you've ever run? Look, I've got to tell you, you won't. This is really stunning. I think it was the happiest day of my life was coming down the line of Boston Marathon on April 17th, 2017. And mm. being surrounded by women, more women in that, well, equal number of women in the, in the Boston Marathon as men, you know, 50 years later. And I looked down to the finish line and, and I could see the president of the Boston Athletic Association waiting for me who just happened to be Joanne Flaminio, the first woman president of the Boston Athletic Association in 125 years, and my husband, who is a great love of my life. And I said, I am going to give my husband the biggest, most embarrassing kiss, and I don't care <laughs> if it goes on national TV, and it did. And um, and um, it was, I think, the happiest day of my life because 
there was enormous pressure on me with this race, enormous. Um, you know, we had 125 women running with me, raising a lot of money for 261 Fearless. You know, the press was all over me. You know, I was 70. I was, can she do it again? It was 50 years later, la, 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 la. <laughs> um, and also because we all have this romantic fantasy, you know, of running and crossing the finish line and flying into the arms of your lover. And, <laughs> and, I, and I did. And, you know, because my husband has been on this journey with me also for 30 years. Joanne had been through a lot, too. Um, all of us as women were achieving. I felt... Uh, not only all the rush of accomplishment from that, but I felt well and truly because of the 261 fearless women who were all in the race, um, especially, that we had successfully passed the torch to the next 50 years. Mm-hmm. Everybody understood how much accomplishment had happened and the next 50 years um, was going to unfold in wonderful, magical, but going to be a lot of hard work, ways um, to change women's lives for the future in a very, very positive way. Oh, I felt very great. confident about that. It was an amazing feeling. Oh, that's great. Okay, Catherine, what's what's one thing professionally or personally that you haven't done that you'd like to do? <laughs> I don't want anybody, especially my husband. He's in the other room. Um, <laughs> I would like to, I'd like to run Comrades. I'd like to run the Ultra Marathon in South Africa. Um, I've, always, I've wanted to run it since 1966 when I first heard about it. Um, it's one of those things I have put off. And I don't know, you know, if I should or would or could or will, but that's kind of the, the personal thing. Uh, the professional thing. Um, I think I've got a couple of years here to go where 261 Fearless will be really in the hands of um, a great team of women and a lot of women listening who are going to, I know, be a part of this, this movement. I would professionally like to see that launched and solid. It's launched and it's solid and it's global. But to be um, financially and uh, completely secure for the future generations, to to have a nonprofit that is ongoing and changes women's lives um, as, as a secure business. I mean, it's a nonprofit, but a secure entity uh, for the future. That's, that's the last professional thing I, I think I want to do. And the last um, broader uh, revolution uh, beyond the women's is I would love to see us kick out the aging myth and to let older people know that it's never too late to become the, an athlete. And, it's, and the best thing that they can do for their futures is to put the sneakers on and get out the door and get moving, to have a long, happy, optimistic life. Well, I love that you say that because my mind has been going this during this interview that I hope that when I'm 70, I have the energy and the drive to be doing the kinds of things that you're doing. And there's no reason to think that... Um, you need to just put your feet up and sit on the couch because you made it to 70 and you could be retired. And that would be the worst thing you could do. So I want <laughs> you just to keep moving as long as you can and, um, and just run till you drop. That's the best thing. <laughs> That's so great. Well, Catherine, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today and loved hearing about 261. And I really can't truly, I can't wait to finish the book. Well, you better hurry because I'm working on the next Uh-oh. one, which is about the next 50. It's, it's about the next 50 years. That ends in 84, and we got to get going and show you the next 50 years. When's that going to come out? <laughs> 
When's Sorry, that? I have no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, Marathon Marath, Marathon Woman is um, in an audio edition too, so you can listen to that on the run. So you can um, you can save yourself a little time, Lindsay, by listening to my voice because I actually did the broad, uh, the um, recording of the book myself. You know what? I should have bought it that way because with my the kids and everything, that would have made a lot more sense. But I was dedicated. I thought I can stay up after they go to bed and read, but I fall asleep after like ten minutes of reading. You know. Because my body's ready. Sure, so. that's that's why that's why we we after after the hardcover came out, I begged <laughs> the publishers to put it in soft cover. Yeah. I said all my runner friends are getting broken noses. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, all right, Catherine. Well, I hope to talk to you soon, and uh, thank you so much. Okay, Lindsay. Let's talk again in a, in a few months, and in the meantime, uh, my best for the upcoming holiday season and everything else in everybody's life. Okay, you too. Bye bye. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, you guys. Thanks for tuning in today. Thank you, Catherine, for coming on the show and sharing your story and your passion with us. Loved having you on. You guys go pick up her book, Marathon Woman. You will learn so much about her journey and so much about running and women's running that you might not know about. Thank you, Four Sigmatic, for supporting this podcast. You guys get 15% off over at Four Sigmatic by going to foursigmatic.com slash another. Use the code another to get 15% off your order. Try it out. Let me know what you think. You can also get a kind sample box for free. You just pay shipping if you go to kindsnacks.com slash Lindsay. And thank you, Casper Mattress. If you guys are looking into a mattress purchase, just go to casper.com slash have another. Use the promo code have another to get $50 toward select purchases. You guys can follow me on Instagram, lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We also have a group over there where we read a book together each month and also discuss different podcast-related things. Next week is my 100th episode and... We've turned the tables and Maggie Dials, who has been a guest on this show, and she was also on my live show panel, will be interviewing me. We actually just recorded it this week, so that'll go live next week for my 100th episode. Thank you guys so much for listening and following along and being a part of me getting to 100 episodes. You guys have a great Friday. Have a wonderful weekend, and as always, I'll see you next Friday.